another EU migrant crisis. Over the past few weeks, thousands of migrants have attempted to cross into Poland, Lithuania, and Latvia from Belarus. This has prompted a strong pushback and rejection from the Polish and other European governments. It is the migrants, most from the Middle East, that are caught in the middle of this diplomatic standoff. How did this crisis start? And what implications could it have for the EU? From the School of Diplomacy at Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Eric Bunce. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the situation on the border is Kat Anderson. Hey, Kat. Hi, Eric. Thanks for coming on. And focusing on international reactions and events is Christopher Benitez Cuartas. Hey, Chris. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on as well. All right, so let's start right with this story. Kat, can you tell us why, why are there migrants in Belarus and, and where are they trying to go? Yep, so most of them are coming from Middle Eastern countries, such as Syria and Iraq, um, and they're using Belarus kind of as a passing through point in deeper into Europe. So most of them, the crisis obviously that we're talking about is in Poland, mm-hmm. so a lot of them want to go through Poland and get into other deeper European states. Yes, and, and, but, so you said they come from the Middle East. We're talking like you know Syria and Iraq, correct? Yes. How did they get, because <laughs> those countries do not share a border with Belarus, not even close to it. So how did they end up up in, 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 in Eastern Europe? So a lot of them, I believe, are like flying. Some of them are taking longer land passages. I think okay. it's just kind of any means that they can find to get out of where they are. Okay. That's kind of what they're doing. All right. And Christopher, I, the way I understand it, there's, there's more at play here as well. Can you introduce us to, first of all, to, to Lukashenko and his background and then tell us how he got these migrants here? Absolutely, Eric. Alexander Lukashenko is the first and so far only president of Belarus since its independence from the Soviet Union in the early 90s. A former collective farm manager, he rose to prominence in the early to mid-90s with the Belarusian people. But so far, all of his re-elections have been considered not free and not fair, mm-hmm. which has prompted its fair, degree, its fair degree of backlash domestically and internationally, most recently exposed this past year, in 2020, after a, another fraudulent election and massive protests in Minsk, Homel, and other major cities. Yeah. This has prompted the European Union to isolate Belarus, to isolate Belarus internationally, while at the same time Lukashenko has had a falling out with its traditional ally, Vladimir Putin, in Russia. So Lukashenko is, it's fair to say, the dictator of Belarus. Absolutely. He's been clamping down on free press. Many Belarusians live in exile in Poland and London and Lithuania. There is hardly any mention of any state affair on national radio or television that does not involve him. So it is very fair to say that he has homogenized the Belarusian political spectrum around him. And uh, you remember, you mentioned it, the the protests this summer uh, surrounding his election and then the jailing of a journalist by diverting a plane which caused a other European nations to to stop flights over uh, over Belarus. So clearly there's been a lot of tension recently between the EU and Belarus. And that sort of plays into this conflict, does it not? Or this recent, yeah, this this conflict on the border. Yes, that is, um, that that very much plays into into this conflict. Belarus has had its 
very tense relationship with the EU following the protests. So President Lukashenko has threatened to, quote, invade the EU using migrants, using drug dealers, mm -hmm. using any form of retaliation he could yeah. find, considering that Belarus borders um, Poland and Lithuania, which are EU members and members of the Schengen area. And so, uh, the way I understand it, some of these migrants were offered flight packages subsidized by the Lukashenko regime in order to get into Belarus. So this was, was this a coordinated effort by Lukashenko to put pressure on the EU? Apparently. Apparently, there were m various attempts, various links that specifically Bolivia, the national airline of Belarus, had yeah. with several travel agencies in Iraq, in Syria, and in many other troubled parts of the world. Yeah. So this is clearly something that was coordinated. Yeah. So before we get uh, into some of the responses to this, this coordination and, and this migrant crisis and more of the details, I want to talk a little more about uh, the situation in Poland, because obviously that, that's a huge part of this story here. So Kat, can you tell us a little more about the situation domestically in Poland and how that might have played into their, their early response to this? Yeah, so um, as I understand it, it's a big humanitarian crisis on both sides. So, you know, there are lots of, there's, I think there's a lot of pushback rhetorically. Um, I remember, you know, reading about, so the, the prime minister is kind of pushing, you know, we are a Christian country and a lot of these migrants are going to be Muslim backgrounds, so that's pushing a lot of the divide. So I think it's a conflict both of human rights and just the, the political rhetoric getting very messy. Mm -hmm. And so it's just created a very tense situation both between Poland and Belarus and within Poland as well. Yeah, and, and Poland, I mean, the, the, the current government in power in Poland is, is seen by the rest of Europe as a far right or just a right wing generally government. A lot of the right-wing governments in Europe have a stand on migrants. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yeah, they're not they're not big fans typically. So this was in some ways an opportunity for the, uh, the Polish prime minister to look strong on an issue that plays to his base. Yes. Yeah, right. I would I would definitely agree with that. So then let's let's talk more about how this played out then. Uh, Kat, can you tell us more about you know how many of these migrants are and what conditions they are facing on the border with? with Poland and Lithuania. Yep, uh, so there are there are a couple thousand. Many of them are going to be women and children. And there's, I would say, a lot of brutality on both sides. There are reports of, you know, people trying to cross the border and they're immediately, you know, there are reports of them being beaten. They're not, if they do make it into Poland, they're often not going to be welcomed there. And on both sides of the border, you have people enduring terrible conditions, you know, just based on, you know, weather, it's going to be cold. And then when they are offered housing, it's the conditions are not appropriate, and they're just generally facing a lot of adversity, both from the general conditions and from authorities, again, on both sides of the border, have been treating these migrants pretty terribly. Yeah, and especially when, when the government policy is that we don't want them here, it's going to be tricky to help them. But as I understand it, there are, you know, there are aid workers attempting to aid. What extremes have they had to go to to, to help the migrants? Yeah, I mean, they're facing adversity, again, from mm -hmm. the authorities. I think it's difficult to really get in there. I was reading a CNN article, and they were mm -hmm. talking about the authorities weren't really cooperating and answering their questions with any sort of specificity. Yeah. And I think it was just, just very difficult for them to not <clears throat> get the information they need, but then to do anything about it. Yeah, so 
you're getting at another issue here, which is the, the treatment of journalists on the border, because that's been a, a big issue you've seen, of course, in the press, because they've been turned away. They've been told, no, you can't film here. Uh, they've been turned away from the border, which is always a bit of a red flag when you're covering a humanitarian crisis. But also, as you mentioned, with the aid workers, they're working against a government that doesn't necessarily want to aid migrants. And so the extremes, this is where we heard stories you may have seen in the news about leaving bags in the wood for migrants to find uh, with blankets and et cetera in the, the cold uh, woods there in, in the fall. So they're having to go to extremes to try and help these migrants who, who aren't getting it from the government on either side. Chris, given the situation that these migrants are facing and that they, they probably had an idea that they would be facing, why, why did so many of them come, come up to the cold north to try and face this? What were they facing back home? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, situations going on in the Middle East. As, as we know, Syria is being ravaged by a civil war. There's plenty of conflict going on in Iraq, particularly northern Iraq, where, where the Kurdish people have been rising up against the Baghdad central government. There are also reports of many migrants coming in from Africa, from the various mm -hmm. conflicts going on there. So these people see Europe as basically one. Yeah. These people figure that if they go into Belarus, they would yeah. eventually can cross through Poland, make it to uh, the destination where most of them want to go, which is Germany. Germany. A, yeah. a migrant was actually quoted on camera um, saying, Poland, here in Poland, there is no life. Mm -hmm. There is, uh, in Germany, yes, there is life. There is yeah. life. That is where we want to go. Yeah. So they're not even attempting to stay in, in Poland. They're attempting to move through Poland to Germany, and in some cases, probably France, Ireland, other countries around Europe. But they're not able to get through the border because of the policies. I mean, can you tell us a little more about the reaction of, of the states on the border? How has the Polish government truly reacted to, to this? Well, the Polish Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, is fearing that this is an all-out attack mm -hmm. by Belarus and possibly even by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. Moscow has remained rather silent on the issue, yeah. focusing more on accusations by the United States and the West on supposed invasion plans of Ukraine. The French, France is actually pushing for support for Poland yeah. in this moment in which the EU is very hesitant to support Poland, given yeah. recent legislation on issues such as the LGBT community and the right of the EU in terms of amending the Polish constitution. Yeah. The Baltic states have had a pretty lively reaction as well. Latvia and Estonia are starting to build walls yeah. and other temporary barriers along their border with Belarus and Russia, respectively. Especially, There's especially um, a ton of suspicion from Tallinn as Estonian Prime Minister Kaya Kalas um, warned that banning Belavia, Belarus's national airline, will not be enough to contain yeah. the attack. And the Baltic states as a whole are seen as demanding more efforts from Brussels, particularly with Lithuanian Prime Minister Ingrida Šimontė, who argues that the Belarus-EU negotiations that are, be that are being planned to try to stop this should be done with Poland, Latvia, and Lithuania and Estonia at the forefront since they are the four states that are the most impacted. For sure. And we've seen this this almost militaristic reaction to this crisis. We see Polish troops, uh, Lithuanian, I think Lithuania or Latvia declared a state of emergency to mobilize troops and put them on their border. To be fair, this isn't the first time the EU ha has dealt with migrants. 
I mean, either of you could, could talk about this. It goes back to, to 2015. How does the, the past experiences with migrants, how do they shape the response of the these nations in the EU today? In a way, I think this crisis resembles 2015 the most by the fact that the EU is more or less at odds with the state that is primarily in question. In 2015, the most affected state was Greece. Mm-hmm. And as we know, Greece was and I believe still is in the middle of a horrible recession which has costed its relationship with most EU institutions. Mm-hmm. The question of Poland is very much different in the sense that it is not as economic as it is political, as it is judicial, but this crisis is definitely driving many EU member states to support Poland, to support yeah. the states that are yeah. at the forefront, regardless if they are at odds with Brussels. Uh, for example, we can see France, we can see even the UK, which has, despite Brexit, <laughs> has decided to cooperate with Poland in sending a brigade, I think, a brigade of the Royal Artillery, uh, Royal Artillery Corps, I think it is. Yeah. Um, we see this pan-European cooperation being insisted upon, despite the odds saying otherwise. Yeah. Uh, before, as you mentioned, uh, Poland was kind of at odds with the EU over their their sort of nationalistic stances and their, their right-wing tendencies. But now they have, I mean, the, the Polish president uh, published tweets with the hashtag, we defend Europe. And you've seen, you're right, this, this mobilization of support from France, from Germany, from the UK, across the EU, supporting Poland, Lithuania, and Latvia in, in holding the border, essentially, holding back the migrants. That, that wasn't always what happened, though, in the past. I mean, we saw in 2015, Germany, after a bit of hesitation, opened its doors widely and accepted thousands, tens of thousands of migrants. What's changed since then? Why has the attitudes shifted against migrants? I think there's a lot of um, rhetoric going around right now, I know, especially in Germany. And it happens here in the United States as well, where people believe that migrants are taking something away from them. Mm-hmm. So economically, people will talk about they believe that migrants are taking their jobs, or Mm -hmm. I know in Germany some people are worried about the diffusion of the culture, in a sense, and so they feel that the more migrants they let in, the farther away the German culture gets from them. And so I think those kind of attitudes have started to gain popularity as opposed to the welcoming culture that they had maybe a few years ago, as more and more migrants continue to come in. So there's been... Uh, almost a, a backlash against migrants that's, that's sort of changed the opinion of the EU public uh, against accepting anymore. And so has this played into the hands, would it be fair to say, of, of the Polish president? I think it certainly makes it easier for him to say um, and for him to justify why he wouldn't want migrants in um, when he can look at arguments that have already been made in other countries and say, you know what, this is where we're going. This is, these are all the bad things that could happen. So I think it, it definitely does make it a lot easier for him to kind of justify holding these people at the border. Yeah, and perhaps that's reflected in the fact that his his polling numbers went up throughout yes. this crisis. Uh, let's turn back to the uh, Lukashenko angle, because what was what was his goal here, and did he accomplish it? No, he did not accomplish his goals. He just provoked more EU solidarity. He just provoked more international condemnation. He really just embarrassed himself with this. There's, there's no, there's no way of putting it otherwise. Yeah. We, we don't see Vladimir Putin 
coming to his defense. To his support. We don't see we don't see anyone really trying to trying to help him. This is this has been a failure for him. It's been a failure for his party and has only served to condemn his regime further yeah. after the after the rigged elections. And I mean you mentioned it was he didn't achieve his goals, but what what were his goals? Do you think it was to try and get the EU to lift sanctions or it's really unclear, especially a man like Lukashenko who doesn't measure his words in the w- in, in ways that are really understandable. Some reports state that he had some economic interests in provoking this crisis. Several investigators have uncovered Lukashenko to have extensive drug trafficking and cigarette smuggling networks across Europe. And so, with rumors of migrants being equipped with scissors for uh, cutting barbed wire, being equipped with cigarettes, with drugs, in a way, he was fulfilling a threat that he had made, but... Did not play well for him. Did not play well for anyone, especially the migrants, yeah, who least of all the migrants. Yes, sure. who I mean, who faced pretty, pretty terrible conditions on the border. Even if, uh, as Kat mentioned, even if they got across, they faced bad conditions. What happened to the ones that that didn't make it across? What have been the recent developments in this this standoff? Um, I believe there have been deportations, primarily. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Or repatriations, essentially. Yes. yes. Um, Iraq has actually responded by banning the national airline of Belarus and closing the two honorary Belarusian consulates in Baghdad and Erbil. Mm-hmm. So Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, has actually negotiated a deal with the Iraqi government for the repatriation of Iraqi citizens that made it across the border. So there is there is a very contundent response Turkey, which is a, which is an important point in the route of these migrants overland, has banned Syrian, Yemeni, and Iraqi citizens mm. from flights to Minsk. The foreign minister of Turkey, Mevlut Cavusoglu, has deflected accusations from the Polish government that it is aiding in making yeah. this crisis. Even Iran, which has, which has lost some citizens on this crisis demands that Lukashenko solve the crisis soon. Yeah. So it's not just the Europeans who are worried or angry about this. The countries where the migrants were leaving from are also rather annoyed at Lukashenko's regime. And so we, we've seen sort of a lessening of, of tensions in, in recent, in the past week or so. As the pressure seems to have abated, they're not being sent to the, the border anymore. They've been taken back and indeed, some of them have been repatriated, flown back to their homes. So, d- d- is this crisis over? I mean, it may have subsided, but I don't think it's the last you're going to see. Maybe, maybe even not at the specific border. Yeah. But I would say, you know, if you're talking broadly a migrant crisis, no, it's yeah, we're going to keep not. seeing these situations yeah. over and over. Yeah, especially with, with Afghanistan just just ending, there's yes. certainly to be more migrants. But I mean, like this mm-hmm. specific, like this specific diplomatic spat with Belarus. Uh, do we see it flaring up again in the future? Do we see this resolving now? Like, what is Lukashenko go next? It's hard to tell. Of it's course, very <laughs> hard to tell. It's very hard to tell because Russia right now is preoccupied with with denying its accusations of invasion plans of Ukraine. So Lukashenko will not want to will not want to risk it more, considering yeah. the falling out he's had with Moscow. Yeah. 
so far, I think this is it for Lukashenko for now until he finds some other way to wreak havoc. And then do we do we see... How could this affect EU policy in the future, this crisis at the border? I would say I think you could see more policy about you know, migration, obviously, but perhaps being more strict about you know its views on migrants mm-hmm. if i i think the view personally i see the view on migrants as having shifted towards a more right wing attitude in europe and so i think we so could anti, eventually so anti migrant yes yeah that's what i meant to say. so i think you could definitely see it shifting towards that in terms of the eu mm-hmm. and making it probably more difficult for migrants to get into the into europe in the future yeah. and i think so that's something that i would personally anticipate seeing I mean, um, I mean, how do you see this impacting the EU and, and, and its constituent states? Definitely going to further exacerbate the divisions in the EU. Mm, um, that's it, yeah. As we, as we can tell, Poland, Hungary, the recently um, inaugurated government in Greece, Romania, there are most of, most of Eastern Europe that's part of the EU will definitely rise up if something like this happens again. And Brussels insists that they take in migrants, yeah. especially these these areas that are not up to the same standards as, say, France, Germany, or the Netherlands. We can expect definitely some more chaos in the EU. So you think that this solidarity that, that was very briefly forged in response to this common crisis, you don't think that's going to last? No, it's not. Seeing the rhetoric coming from the eastern parts of the European Union... This is not going to go anywhere. Okay. And how will this impact, uh, not just the EU generally, but Belarus specifically, how could this impact Lukashenko's regime? Could it, could it destabilize his regime? Possibly. Possibly, yes. Because you mentioned it, it seems to have been a policy failure, but he does have control of the press and everything such as that. That's, that's true. It's only, it's only, if there is a... If the international relation to this crisis grows even bigger, mm-hmm. the spotlight will definitely focus to the Belarusian opposition. Yeah, and so far they they actually haven't haven't reacted as much as I expected. I, I for one, haven't yeah. seen much reaction from them. Yeah, but it's definitely going to focus to them, and they will be forced to answer the question: Well, what would you do if this happened? If if this were to happen, say, with some other belligerent state bordering Belarus, if you were in power, mm-hmm. it definitely has the, the potential to to solidify the Belarusian opposition's yeah. uh, role. Uh, final words. What's what's the most important takeaway from this crisis for you, Kat? Um, well, for me, I think it's it says a lot about the attitude as it stands towards migration. And so... You know, to me, I think we need to focus on how we talk about immigrants. And something mm-hmm. I noticed as I was doing looking at this is that they lose a lot of humanity, and especially in like far right rhetoric, if that makes sense. You know, we yeah. see a lot of these people are coming and they're taking away, and really they're just trying to escape. You know, these horrible conditions that they were facing at home. Yeah. And I think that that's something that the media needs to be careful about, and also, you know, it's a huge responsibility of political leaders and I so I think for me personally that's something that I would want to keep an eye yeah. on is you know just how because the, obviously there's still a migration crisis not just in Europe but worldwide and we could see situations like this yeah. flaring up you know situations uh, tensions increasing within specific you know, nations 
So for me personally, that's something that I would pay attention to. Okay, so making sure to focus on the migrants yes. as well. And for you? So this crisis definitely exacerbates Belarus's isolation problem. We can expect to hear more about them in the news. So, yeah, absolutely. What we should expect is to see more isolation in Lukashenko's regime. It may be something happening there. Maybe, but again, uh, Lukashenko always has tricks up his sleeve, this mm-hmm. being one of the bigger ones. So we yep. could definitely expect to hear a lot more coming from Eastern Europe in the following months. Okay. This has been a great discussion. That is unfortunately all we have time for today. Kat, uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Drew Starbuck. Hey, Drew. Hey, Eric. Happy to be here. So what are you keeping an eye on this week? So I have two major headlines this week. The emergence of the Omicron variant and changes at the top at social media giant Twitter. Okay, so let's start with what's happening with this new variant. So the new Omicron variant of the coronavirus was first detected in South Africa, but has since spread quickly throughout Europe and has recently appeared in Canada. The World Health Organization, also known as the WHO, has classified this new strain of COVID-19 as a variant of concern on November 26th due to the high number of mutations within the strain that could make the virus more contagious. President Biden, shortly after the WHO's announcement, has announced travel bans on South Africa and seven other African nations only a few hours after the WHO's announcement. Mm -hmm. So extremely concerning news from abroad. And now what's happening at Twitter? So recently, Twitter announced that CEO Jack Dorsey is stepping down, which marks a major shift for the social media giant that has shown major influence in Washington, Silicon Valley, and beyond. Dorsey, a co-founder of the company, oversaw many controversial decisions during his tenure as CEO, such as permanently taking down then-President Donald Trump from Twitter this past January. His slated replacement as CEO is Chief Technology Officer Parag Agrawal, and his news of his stepping down was met with a 10% increase in the company's stock. <laughs> Mixed reactions to his stepping down then. Okay, Drew, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And that is all we have time for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew. Executive producer Jared Dang, associate producers Jasmine DeLeon and Joaquin Maximus, technical producer Chimdi Chukwukade, and associate technical producer Andrew Akulia. And, of course, your host, Eric Bunce. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thank you.